0: You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. We are going to start in First Peter chapter 1 with the first word in First Peter. And we're going to work our way all the way through to First Peter chapter 5 until we get to the last word of First Peter. I love those, uh, those types of series of messages. And yet, we're going to have a theme along with going through this book in the Bible. And the theme is this, a wake-up call. Now, I'll I tell you how I came upon that theme. As I was reading through the book of First Peter, and I've been reading a lot in this book and studying this book, especially chapter 1 for the last several weeks, I've noticed that Peter, <clears throat> being a fanatical follower of Jesus Christ, and he was. He was an on-fire, radical, spitfire preacher. I mean, you read his book, uh, first and second Peter, and you find, and of course Jordan quoted him in Acts chapter four, verse twelve as well. but Peter was one of these guys he 's all over the place. I mean he's excited. you can feel the energy coming off of the pages. and so, as I thought about uh, a theme for the series, I thought uh, of this word wake up call because that's kind of what happens to me sometimes when I uh, wake up in the morning and i'm still kind of groggy and and needing you know to to, to really Uh, get, get, get with it and wake up. I'll take cold water. Anybody ever done this? And I'll splash it on my face. And it's just like immediately that cold water, that cold splash of water in the face just sort of wakes me up almost instantly. And I'm ready to go. And I feel as if sometimes in reading this book, there are certain subjects, for instance, today, our great salvation that jump out of the pages of scripture and it's a wake-up call for us to realize how important the word is. And so let's begin this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 12 speaking about our great salvation. And let's let's ask God to give us a wake-up call about this, a fresh sense of gratitude for what it means to be born again, what it means to be saved. Well, let's get a definition out there, shall we? I think sometimes it's good to get something out as quickly as possible. So when we use this word salvation, what exactly are we talking about? When we say, hey, I'm saved. Or when we ask the question, are you saved? What does that exactly mean? Well, I want you to write this down. or Notice in your notes. Salvation is the spiritual state of a convicted sinner that is eternally resting by faith in the forgiveness of, that God has freely offered to us in Christ. That is salvation. Let's do it again real quick, since it's it's, it's what the message is all about. It's, It's the spiritual state of a convicted sinner that is eternally resting by faith, very important word we'll come to later, in the forgiveness that God freely offers in Christ. So if someone were to say to me, if you were to die today, and you were to stand before God, And he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? Preacher, what would you say? Well, the first thing I would say is you shouldn't. I don't really deserve it, except I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. I have trusted him and him alone for my salvation. That is what I would say. And so every person must come to the place where they turn from their sin. Every person must come to the place where they embrace Christ by faith as the only basis for their forgiveness. And if you have truly and sincerely done that, then you, my friend, have salvation. You have great salvation. And that's the theme of the first 12 verses of this book in 1 Peter chapter 1. And so we're going to jump in, 1 Peter chapter 1, and I want you to notice, and in your notes just, you'll see I've got four words, because what we're going to do is, number one, we're going to detail salvation, and we're going to detail it using four words that we find illustrated, and really, honestly, the song we sang, the very first song we sang, by the way, I don't know how many of you may have known that uh, God gave Jordan those words to write. That was his song uh, that God gave him. I love it when we sing songs written by our own people. Isn't that great? That's awesome. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I I didn't know if you knew that. And I told Jordan when we were working through this message, I said, man, this is a must to sing the song you wrote uh, that details salvation. And that's what that song did. It went through and detailed the salvation that we have In Jesus Christ. So let's do that together as a church family. 1 Peter chapter 1, would you notice please with me, verse 1 Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, quickly, just a little bit on that word dispersion. That word is speaking about Christians who were in persecution. And they were being scattered abroad to the different places that are mentioned following that statement. You'll notice the different places that he mentions there, that they were scattered abroad too. And I think one thing we're going to see through the book of First Peter is that Peter often talked about trials. He talked about troubled times, tough times. And you know, I noticed clearly that as Peter is writing to these people, real people, real people, who are going through really tough times and a lot of suffering, That God's people in that day and God's people in this day are going through tough times. And so my point is this, that these trials or these truths in this passage are just as true today as they were back then. And so as we read these scriptures and as we understand the trials of our faith, may we embrace this truth. May we allow our faith to exert, be exerted, that we might be able to see God work in our lives and change our lives to be able to become an example and a testimony as we go through some of the tough times that Peter speaks of here in this passage. So the very first word I want you to write down is the word election. It's the first word we're going to talk about as we detail our salvation. It says in verse one, to those who are elect. Write that word down, <clears throat> election. I wanna make a statement that I think all of us would agree. And it's the first one of the first notes that you have in your worship guide. That salvation is not earned. Salvation is not merited. Salvation is not deserved. Amen. All of us can agree with that. In fact, as we look at this word election and we observe some of the different viewpoints of election, we find this to be true, that all three of the viewpoints of election that I'm going to show you in just a moment, all of them would agree with that. And so sometimes in our theology, there are differences. There are different views about certain things. And as we come to those different views, one of the beautiful things is that we can still find ourselves able to have a little tension in some of those areas, but serve together, worship together, and witness together. I love that, don't you? Because we're not always going to agree on everything But our church has taken a position that I want to share with you in just a moment as we look at three views of election on the screen. Just spend a few minutes on this word. The first view of election is commonly called unconditional election or more popularly known as Calvinism. And on the screen, Calvinism, just a brief description is this. It's the view that teaches for no reason other than to bring God glory, God selected certain people to be saved while passing over others. This view says that God provides faith to the elect while no faith is given to the non-elect. One of the most famous Calvinists in recent church history, Wayne Grudem, great, great man, explains it like this, reprobation is the sovereign decision of God before creation to pass over some persons in sorrow, deciding not to save them and to punish them for their sins and thereby to manifest his justice. The doctrine of reprobation is the most difficult of all teachings of Scripture for us to think about and accept because it deals with such horrible and eternal consequences for human beings made in the image of God. Reprobation is something that we would not want to believe. He goes on to say, and we would not believe it unless Scripture taught it. And of course, that's his view. This is what Calvinists, including Mr. Gruden, would believe about election. They would believe that Scripture teaches this view of it. The second one is called Armenianism, or simply put, foreseen faith. Read this on the screen with me. This view teaches that God selected certain people to be saved, but he did so before all of time by looking down through all of time and selecting those who would believe. This view does let God off the hook for the doctrine of reprobation, but it does seem to imply that God chooses those who choose him. So we made the first move, and then God chose to save us. Arminianism a foreseen faith. The third view of election, and as I read this, this is the view that uh, the majority of Southern Baptist uh, pastors would take, but also it's the view that we have traditionally held here at Gospelite for the past 27 years. This is what our elders would believe. This view teaches that just as in the Old Testament, those who were of the family of Abraham, this is corporate election, were God's elect. So in the New Testament, those who are of the family of Jesus Christ are the elect. God predetermined to call this people to be set apart from the nations, to be a light to the nations. The purpose of election in both the Old and New Testament in this view is election for service. God was choosing a group of people to be his hands and his feet. God has chosen to do so much of his work through humans through his elect. And so we see here that we are God's special chosen ones, for service, for a holy purpose. We are, I can't think of any more holier purpose and any greater way to live out our calling than to fulfill the great commission, than to be busy about the Father's business. That's why the emphasis on our missions conference and our mission is so important and is the responsibility of every believer in here who has been elected to, for service, to serve God. And so notice the word in that passage that we're going to cover in just a moment again. But in that very passage, it says, for obedience. And I think it's very important that we understand that there is divine sovereignty, but there is also a human responsibility. Because never does divine sovereignty negate our human responsibility. We have a responsibility to respond. In other words, listen, if you want to be saved, you can be saved. We don't get the idea from Scripture that some are predestined for heaven and others are predestined for hell and there is nothing we can do about it. That is a perversion of the doctrine of God's holy choosing and election. And I think if you look at it from the human side, where the Bible says, whosoever will may come, you find in Scriptures such as Matthew chapter eleven and verse number twenty-eight on the screen. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I don't think he said in the back of his mind, but only the ones that are that I choose are going to come. He says, "Come to me, all who labor." I love that word, all. Another passage of scripture found in our uh, our notes today, Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The Spirit, and the Bride say, "Come." Let anyone who hears say, come, let anyone who is thirsty, let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life, anyone and everyone, it's a whosoever will gospel. And then also in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all. God is willing that all should come to repentance. I want to say this again very clearly. If you're here this morning and you want to be saved, you can. You can be saved this morning. And I'm grateful for that. And I praise God for that. Election. It's part of our salvation. Let me go on to say this, that it says the elect exiles. That word exiles means stranger or foreigner or sir joiner. In other words, as we are Saved, we quickly begin to feel as if we are exiles, as if we are strangers in this world. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing when you begin to feel that, you know, this, I'm just not as comfortable in this world as I was before I was saved. I'm uncomfortable with some of the things. I, I, I feel as if maybe I don't fit here anymore. And I wanna say I don't feel I fit here anymore. That's a good sign. In fact, in the word of God, in Psalm 119, verse 19, scripture says, I am only a foreigner in the land. Oh, listen, you and I are strangers and foreigners in this land as as those of us who have been saved. And then I want you to notice the word, the second word, regeneration. This is our conversion. It's a point in time where every single person must come to if they should hope to go to heaven someday. Look at verse number three. Scripture says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Man, I love the way that Peter puts that. I love the energy, the excitement, all of the wording. It's so rich. It's so amazing. Other words we've used for our conversion, for regeneration would be words like justification or redeemed, or as the word puts it here, born again in verse number three, that term born again. And, and notice it is according to his great mercies. Amen. What is God's great mercy? Mercy is the attribute of God that withholds from us what we deserve. We deserve death. We deserve judgment. But according to his great mercy, amen, for God's mercy, we are born again. I love the way that someone put it. I heard it years ago. Born once, die twice. But born twice, die once. Amen. In other words, born once Die twice. Die both physically and die spiritually forever separated from God. But born twice. You only die once. You die physically. But thank God you're born again to live forever and ever and ever and ever in a place called heaven with Jesus. Amen. Born again. What are we born again to? We sang in a moment ago in our worship session. A living hope. What is our living hope? Who is our living hope? He is Jesus Christ. He's the centerpiece of it all. And that's why in verse number three, you see this emphasis placed on our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christianity is not a code. Christianity is not a creed. It is a relationship with a living person. And his name is Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead. He lives forevermore. He lives in me. Except no substitutes for that. You know, I'm afraid that we have accepted some substitutes for that as believers. In a sense, it's become a real problem. For instance, we've accepted music instead of worship. Meaning this, that such an emphasis oftentimes is placed on Music and worship music and a certain kind of music. And, and the, at the end of the day, listen, it's not about the music. It's about the worship. That's why at Gospel Light, you'll notice the only songs we sing together as we worship Jesus are songs that will bring us into his presence. Songs about Jesus, songs that exalt Jesus, songs that elevate Jesus. That's what we're doing. It's not about being fickle about music and songs and instruments. It's about worshiping Jesus. Never forget that. That's why we're gathered here today to worship Jesus. Don't accept the substitute of ministry instead of serving Jesus. Sometimes I sense we emphasize the need of this certain ministry area or job and you find someone coming to you or someone making an announcement or a deacon approaching you about we really need your help. Man, we're really shorthanded. We got to have somebody over here to, to do this, to work in the nursery, to fold bulletins, to help drive a bus. Would you, would you please, would you, would you do this? Would you do that? And we all of a sudden get busy doing certain things and we forget that we're not doing it for anybody but Jesus. We're serving Jesus. How much easier would it be for us to see the need if we realized it was his need? He needs us to serve him and to be active and busy about the father's business, serving him. It's not so much about bragging about what you do. It's about understanding that you're doing it for Christ. And then fellowship instead of relationships in Christ. I think sometimes we have grown to emphasize well, we just kind of get together and hang out. I, you know, I go to my small group. We, we always bring food and we eat and we hang out and we talk and we go here and go that. And against those things, I think that's all really good. But can I remind you that that's not a substitute for building relationships? The reason why you're in a small group is not so much to eat food, although you should, and that's great, and I'm glad if you do. The, the, the reason why these are, are put together, the reason why we gather together here today and why we we find other opportunities in our church to, to be together is to build relationships. How important is it for God's people to build relationships inside the local church family? We need each other. We need each other. Get connected to relationships in Christ. That's regeneration. And then there's this word, our third word today, as we detail salvation, sanctification. Sanctification is such an important word. Let's go back to verse two for just a moment. And and let's, let's look at sanctification. It says here, in the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with the blood. You see, after we are saved, Let's detail it here. After we're regenerated, after we are born again, God begins to change us. It's amazing. I was saved, converted, regenerated 41 years ago, September the 1st, 1978. It was a moment in my life where I put my faith in Jesus Christ. But that was just the start. That was just the beginning. You see, this process of sanctification is to be set apart, to be made holy, becoming like Christ more and more every day that I'm living here on this earth before I become just like him. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, which is very clear when it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. He goes on to say that you abstain from sexual immorality. I think it's important that we at least... Put a plug in there right now for this onslaught in our world today of sexual immorality. I mean, it's insane what our kids, what you, what I am facing today is our world just just makes sex a God. And it's all around us. And yet our God says abstain from sexual immorality. This is the will of God for you as a believer. Sanctification. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you And I must keep going forward in this matter of sanctification. Accepting Jesus is just the start of salvation. God wants you to grow. That's God's will for your life. That's why we challenge you here at our church. That's why we we challenge you from the word of God and inspire you and, and even attempt at times to motivate you to become more like Christ, to be set apart, to be holy. It's called sanctification. It's very important. In other words... verse two, let's go back to that word obedience. Our obedience to Jesus Christ because obedience is the essence of sanctification. Jesus says, jump, and we say, how high? Amen. It's all about obedience. It's about being obedient to Jesus. It's about being obedient to his word. It's the whole essence of sanctification. You can sum it up in one word. John 14, 21 says this. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, that's the ones that love me. That's the ones that love me. The ones that keep my commandments. The ones, and take that word keep out and put obedience. The ones who are obedient to my commandments. Those are the ones that love me. So let's talk about this for a minute because mm, anybody ever fail at that? My hand went up first, just so you'll be okay. <clears throat> Amen. Thank you. My, I, I fail. I fall short. Sometimes I find myself failing in this thing called sanctification or growth in the Christian life. And I know that you failed at things. I failed at things. But notice the end of verse two. It's critical. It says, and for the sprinkling with his blood. That indicates, yes, we were saved when we were born again, we were saved. And yes, we were cleansed from our unrighteousness. But I want to say this. It is a continual cleansing. Amen. I believe with all of my heart that every one of us need cleansing almost every day, if not every day. I needed it this morning. I mean, I, I, I always, before I step into the pulpit, I, I, I don't want there to be any unconfessed sin in my life as I preach the word of God. I'm very. It's very important to me to have a time of confession Every morning that I meet with God, I love first John chapter one and verse nine. I love it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us a continual cleansing from all unrighteousness. Thank God for a new start. Amen. Amen. Thank God for his grace. Thank God that I'm so thankful that the process of sanctification is for every person here, including the pastor. That no matter how you have failed, the Lord, get up and go on in the grace of God. Get up and go on in the grace of God. This is my message for you regarding sanctification. And then there's the word glorification. It's the first word, fourth word, rather, in the detail of salvation. And Peter speaks of it right here in chapter one. Let's talk about heaven for a couple of minutes. Look at what Peter said in verse number four. This is where it gets really amazing. Two and inheritance. Wow. You and I have been saved to an inheritance. And it's an amazing inheritance. The inheritance of every blood bought son and daughter of King Jesus is amazing. It's unfathomable. I'm telling you, church, you are wealthy. You are very wealthy. You may not understand that yet. But I assure you, you are so wealthy. What's coming to you is your inheritance. Man, listen, if you think you've got it nice in this world, you have no clue. You have no clue as to what God has prepared for you. And the cool thing is, Jesus doesn't have to die for you to get it again. you got to die to get it. Amen. That's what we have waiting for us in heaven. There's four words that describe this inheritance. The first word he uses is this word. It is imperishable. It's imperishable. This is the idea that it is not subject to decay. Imperishable. Let me illustrate. So I have in my pocket a lighter. I don't smoke, but this is a lighter. It's a cigarette lighter. It's a lighter. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I think my papa did smoke cigarettes. This comes, in fact, it's got the date of January 29th, nineteen thirty. And so my papa's birthday <clears throat> is on it, and they, my dad passed this down to me. It's got his initials, Frank Capaci on it. It's pretty cool. I've tried to use this lighter because I do light candles. That I like. Every time we have a birthday in our in our house, I always light the candles. I'm I'm the candle lighter. No, everybody knows. Do, dad, papa does the candles. I like to. And as people get older, I get more creative. You know. I get more creative with the way that I spell the numbers out and do weird things with the candles, you know. I just love it. I sing happy birthday the loudest of anybody else. I've got on my phone over 100 happy birthday videos in our house. I'm just, I just, my little thing. It's just what, you know, it's just kind of my deal, right? So I thought it would be cool to get this fixed. My grandpa's old lighter and I could light the candles at the house. But here's the problem. It's perishable. I've tried to get it fixed. One, it would cost money to get it fixed. And two, they can't seem to fix it. It's just a nice little thing that's been passed down to me. It's part of my little inheritance. Maybe it's worth something, I have no clue. But I do know this, it's perishable. It doesn't work. It's not worth a whole lot, even though it's a lighter. Can I say something about heaven? Everything in heaven is the opposite of that. (laughs) It all works. There's no decay. There's nothing in heaven that, that that's old or doesn't work. Or heaven is a place that is imperishable. That's your inheritance. Not a broken lighter. Huh. And then, what about the word undefiled? I love that word. You know what that word means? It simply means no sin. It's pure. It's perfect. Everything in this world. I repeat, everything in this world is stained with sin. Everything. Everything you read, everything you see, everything you touch, every relationship, human relationship you have is stained by sin. But in heaven, no sin. It is pure. It is perfect. It is pristine. That is your inheritance. Man. I got excited about this. To me, this is some of the greatest news I've heard about what God is preparing for me. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. What does unfading mean? It means it's always new. It's always new. Like it, It's always like the first moment you bought it. it I mean, it's always new. Not like the flowers that I give my wife on our anniversary. As they sit on the counter, Right? They look really nice the first day. And she she says, they're so wonderful. They're so great. And I'm great because I bought them, right? So it's all good. And here these flowers are. The second day, you can see, not, not as good as the first day. Things are already beginning to look like, uh, boy, that, you know. And then the third day, it's getting really bad. It's like, you know, I mean, I'm ready to throw them away. You know, like, honey, can we get rid of the flowers? Oh, can we keep them one more day? It's just so special. you got these flowers for me. And on the fourth day, it's like, let's go to the garbage can because these flowers fade. It's like a new car that has the new car smell, but only for a little while. And it depreciates. And it always, it's, it's like new for just a short time. Heaven is the opposite of that. Heaven is unfading. Nothing ever fades in heaven. It's always new and it's always amazing. And then... It says, heaven, it's kept in heaven for you. What a great promise. Kept in heaven for you. Now, this is not like, you know, leftovers. You know, my wife is really big on leftovers. She'll always say, oh, no, let's keep that and put it in the fridge. We'll keep it for, for you when you get home. But here's the thing about it. It never looks as good and it doesn't even taste the same. Yesterday, we went out to eat with the English. It's so good to have you guys back. And Jack and Patty were on staff here and just an amazing couple. I'm so glad they're here today. We got to have dinner with them last night. Went out to eat. And of course, the waiter comes. You don't want to box anything up. If you ask that question to our wife, it's yes. Box up the three kernels of corn. Box them up. It's crazy. She boxes everything up. You go to our house, you look in our refrigerator. It's just piles of Tupperwares with like little itty bitty bites in there. <clears throat> and she keeps it, and she brags about. It. Oh, it's gonna, you, you, we're gonna have leftovers. We're gonna, but it's like it just does it's not the same. It's like a potluck dinner, you know. And it's like, you know, four hours later, you're eating and Everybody's trying to you know, get the flies off of it and keep it, you know. And it's just not as fresh. And I don't know. I'm just not a, I'm not as into potluck as everybody else is. I try, I work at it. But is that the most impressive thing on planet Earth? Is you know having a potluck? I'm like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll be there. Let's pray twice over the food. (laughs) The point I'm making is this. I'm having a good time to illustrate a point. I'm overemphasizing it. But at the end of the day, that is not what he's talking about. If your name is written... In the Lamb's book of life, you are a follower of Jesus Christ and God is keeping some things for you in heaven. He talks about mansions. He talks about uh, fellowship and joy and worship and all of these things that are waiting for us. Nothing can touch it. It is waiting for us. It is there right now. That's heaven. Wow. Glorification. Kept in heaven for us. Nothing can touch it. Notice chapter one, verse five. It's just the first part of verse five. It says, who by God's power are being guarded. They're being guarded through faith. I love that because there's an emphasis here that it's being kept for you, but not only is it being kept for you and guarded by his power, you are being kept for it. By faith. See, that's your part your part is faith. That's why it's so important for you to have faith, to exert faith, to put faith in something. For instance, it is impossible, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it is impossible to please God without faith. That's what it says. It's on the screen. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. I love that. We need to have faith even in this very service. Let me give you another illustration. Hebrews chapter number four and verse two says, for good news, which by the way, am I giving good news this morning? Is this good news? This is like really good news. So good news came to us just as to them. But here's the problem. The message they heard did not benefit them. And sad to say, sometimes the message that we preach here does not benefit you. But Why? Because they were not united by faith. With those who listened. All of us are hearing. But are we united by faith? In other words, are we going to put our faith in what God is saying? It is only then that it becomes effective. You have a part of this. And it's called faith. And we've got to exert some faith even in this very message that's being presented this morning. The things that we're hearing. The reason why oftentimes I feel as if we leave this place and nothing ever changes, whether it's our marriage, our relationships, our finances, our walk with God, it just stays the same. Why? You're not doing your part. You got to put some faith in this thing. Faith without works is dead. We need some faith. Exert some faith. Be united by faith so the message can benefit you according to the scriptures. So we got four words here that detail our salvation. Let's review these words. Election. Election. Regeneration, sanctification, glorification. Can you say those with me on the screen all together? Ready? One, two, three. Election, regeneration, sanctification, glorification. It might sound just a little bit boring if you just read four big words, but when you understand and when you read the passage and see how Peter is describing these things and sharing these things, you sense the energy that. I have this morning is only just a reflection of the energy that he had and the excitement that he had and the anticipation that he had that he's now experiencing. So not only should we detail our salvation, but I think secondly, we've got to demonstrate our great salvation. You see, God doesn't just want this salvation in our heads. He wants it in our hearts and in our houses. He wants us to live it out. This great salvation is not just something, you know, and I'm really saddened by so many in the church today who just seem to have gotten over their salvation. It's as if we have just become robotic Christians where we sit, soak and sour, but there's no energy. There once was, there was an appreciation, there was a gratitude, there was something that would stir in our hearts years ago. But for whatever reason, it's waned. It's 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 walked away from our heart. And I want to share this with you in a way that you would be able to understand that this great salvation is not only detailed by Peter, but he says, "I want you to demonstrate it." And here's how: number one, by ultimate praise, even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't feel like it. You know, I was thinking about one of the. Worship songs, that's kind of an older song now. We don't sing it as often, but it's called Blessed Be Your Name. It's written by Matt Redman. It's a really cool song. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. When the world is as it should be, blessed be your name. Well, that's easy, isn't it? That's, that's fine. That's no problem. But then the next verse says, blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering when there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. Trials. You see, that's what Peter is going to emphasize all throughout this book is that we need to praise him even when we don't feel like it. Notice in verse number six, the first mention of these trials. says, in this you rejoice. Pay attention now to the entire verse. There's so much it says. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Let's notice, first of all, that there are trials, various trials, numerous trials in a lifetime. Everybody in this building is not exempt from those trials. And to be honest, I think if we could all share a little portion of our lives right now, there would be some trials that we're going through. Just tough times, hard times, trials. Trials. But notice it says that these trials only last for how long? A little while. Just a little while. Thank God for that. God says they last for a little time. And then it says if necessary. Only if necessary. Aren't you glad that that trials only come if God deems it necessary? Amen? If God thinks it's necessary for you to go through a trial, then you're going to go through that trial only for a little while. God, do you have a reason for this trial? God says yes, and I say, it's good. God, do you have a purpose for this trial? Because this is tough. God says, oh yeah, I've got a purpose. It's going to work together for good. You're going to love it. Just just stay faithful. I'm good, God. It's all good. And then he uses the word grieved in that verse. Trials, little while. He talks about necessary. Then he says grieved. Because sometimes there is sadness in this life. And sometimes there is times in our lives where we weep and cry. And together as a church family, we we go through things. We see others go through things and we weep with those who weep. There will be times where we grieve for a little while. So why are these trials? Well, look at verse 7. Here's why. He gives the answer. In verse 7, he says, here's why you have these various trials. So that... Here's the reason, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire. The reason why you have these trials is so your faith will be tested to see if it's genuine or not. The greatest way to see if someone's faith is real and genuine is send them through a trial and see if they come forth as gold because that's God's plan for every trial is that you would become more like him. In fact, it's impossible to become like Christ without going through various trials if God deems it necessary for a while. And he does it to test the genuineness of our faith. And then this, I, I tell you, I, I want to share just, I know Jamie, so I want to tell Jamie, I'm proud of her for sharing your testimony at the meeting at Crossgate last week. I don't know how many ladies got to go, but Jamie got to share the trial when she suddenly lost her first husband very quickly, very tragically. It was very, it was even an ugly death. It was a tough death. It was not smooth and pretty and casual and and just, it it wasn't a fading thing. It wasn't anything she was prepared for. It was sudden, it was quick, it was devastating. Those of you that were in our church years ago when this happened, remembered the grace that God gave Jamie as she went through this trial for a little while. We saw God, Give her strength and grace to get through that with her boys by her side. And then God brought her Ken Wagner to become her helpmeet. And God has restored, again, a love for her, 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 her husband and her her, uh, her life's mate. And now she's using that testimony, sharing that testimony, letting others know that this was, well, it was hard. But God's grace was sufficient. And God speaks of these trials and God wants us to share these trials with others so that they can know there's a God in heaven that is just looking for us to give him praise, honor, and glory through the trial. Look, if you would, please, at verse number seven. Again, more precious than gold and perishes, though it is tested by fire, that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. Praise meaning Worship that is expressed to God through the trial. And then glory, meaning we can have an experience with God like no other experience with God when we go through suffering. And then honor, because God is elevated in our trials. God is A greater picture of God's grace is seen when we go through trials than in any other time in our lives. And when is this all going to take place? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love that because I'm convinced that in heaven, I really believe this. And and, and, and I don't know that it's a right or wrong thing, but I just kind of believe in heaven that we're going to be there, right? A kajillion years, times a kajillion years, whatever that equals, times another. Okay, anyway, it's like forever. Unbelievable. And I just feel like there's going to be testimony services, Jamie, where you'll get to share. And others will get to share. Tiff, you'll get to share your story. And Jerome, remember that near-death experience that you had? You came within moments of death and God raised you up. Jerome, as quiet as you are, God may say, Jerome, come on up here and share what I did for you. And Jerome steps up in the great multitude of heaven and just says, well, it was this day and this is what happened. And, you know, I just want to say, God gave me grace through it all. I was sitting back on the second row where I always sat. Preacher missed me for a while, but I got right back to my spot. And I was just there worshiping God through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus through it all. learned to trust in God. And guess what's going to happen? All of a sudden you and I will be there. Amen. If we're saved and we'll begin to give honor and glory and praise, not to Jerome, but to God who, who touched him, who healed him, who made him more like him while he was here. Do you see the point I'm making at the revelation of Jesus Christ? There's going to be a time when we can give God honor and glory and praise for what he brought us through. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Ultimate praise, even when I don't feel like it. Then ultimate practice when I don't see it. Because sometimes we don't see it. Remember Thomas? He said, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. I've got to see it, God. And what did Jesus say? He said, "I'm oh, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Look with me, if you would, please, at <clears throat> verse 8 and 9. And we're closing here just a moment. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, that's filled with glory. Reminds me of that song, Heaven Came Down and Glory Filled My Soul. It's an old song we would sing in days gone by, but it's a little picture of the fact that you and I Look at the last part, obtaining the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your souls right now. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to get a little piece of heaven down here, amen? I mean, it's nothing compared to heaven, trust me. But I want you to know that it's okay for you to come to church and let heaven come down, flood your soul, worship your creator, enjoy God's people, why? Because even though we've not seen him, we believe, even though we've not seen him, we love him. We put our faith in him, so we're going to demonstrate it. So we've detailed it, we've demonstrated it. Now, finally, in closing, I think Paul, Peter says, "I want you to delight in it. Delight in it. Delight in it. Look with you would for just a moment. <clears throat> and again, delighting in it, meaning even now, he says, and I'll just read the last three verses of our text." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched. They inquired carefully, these prophets, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news. And by the way, that's what this is, the good news. To you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is our great salvation. This is what we should be delighting in even right now. Because church, can I tell you something? 100 years from now, we're not going to be talking about what's on Fox News. 100 years from now, we're not going to be gathering around discussing the stock market or who's going to be the next president or the war in Iran. Those subjects will not be at all even near what we're going to be talking about. Because 100 years from now, every blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ is going to be in heaven in an imperishable place, unfading, reserved in heaven for you, worshiping the God of all creation. So let's do it now. Let's start now. Let's demonstrate it. Let's delight in it now. What a great God we have. What a mighty God we serve. Are you rejoicing in your salvation? When's the last time you just spent some time rejoicing in the great salvation you have? Praising God for what he has given you as your future inheritance. Let me ask you this. Would you ask God this morning? Can I challenge you to ask God to give you a fresh gratitude for your great salvation? Ask Him. Just ask Him. That's simple. I mean, you 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 can come to the altar and ask Him. You can ask Him in your seat or while you're worshiping. Just God, give me a, a fresh gratitude for all this. It's amazing. And Peter has it all described there in those first twelve verses. Peter lays it out. God, it's amazing what you've done for me. What I have to look forward to. God, I just want to appreciate this more. I want to enjoy this. I want to rejoice in this even now. Though I don't see it. Though I don't always understand it. I praise you in the storm. Every head bowed and every eye closed. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I wonder how many of us could do that right now. Just ask God for a fresh sense of gratitude for this great salvation. How can we escape it? How can we neglect it, church? How? How can God do such a great thing for us and we just kind of walk away and become used to it? listen, I still haven't gotten used to a fresh cup of coffee in the mornings. I, I long for it. I love it. I enjoy it. You think I'm going to get used to something as great as heaven that is as fresh today as it was the day I got saved? You see, 2,000 years ago when Peter described heaven to that group of people that were exiled and dispersed and then persecuted and going through trials, you know what he did? He reminded them, "It's it, you're going through things now, but I'm telling you, what you have to look forward to is going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. So let's ask him to give us a fresh sense of gratitude. And then if you're here today, you've never been saved. You've never truly been converted, regenerated, justified, born again, or just good old fashioned saved. Are you saved? If you've never been saved, I would encourage you this morning, right now, where you're at, to put your faith in the finished work of Jesus. You see, he died on the cross for your sins to save you from an eternity separated from him in hell. And if you today would just trust him and him alone, not the church, not works, not baptism, all of that is good and it comes after. And it proves that you were sincere, but it's not what you put your trust in. Would you put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone? If you'd like to come forward in just a moment and I'll be at the altar, I'll be waiting. I would love to be able to just take a moment and rejoice with what God has done for you today in giving you this great salvation. Father, I love you.